the New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Well, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We are at episode 392. I'm Paul Spain. And I'm Greg Hutana. Welcome along, Greg. Always good to have you on the show. Thank you, Paul. It's always good to be here. Now, for those who don't know, you are the Services Director at Gorilla Technology. That's correct. I make sure our clients are well looked after. That you do. Thank you for that. Well, let's uh, let's jump in. We've been talking about a few interesting things this week, and well, it's time to uh, to time to share share some of that discussion with the listeners to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Um, first up was something I, I came across online, which was about the NBN. This is Australia's national broadband network. It's it's sort of competitor to what. Uh, we have in New Zealand in the ultra-fast broadband um, project and also the Rural Broadband Initiative. So their NBN sort of combines those two. It's uh, The idea is to get fast internet out across Australia. And, the well, the problem I, I have with that is a lot of their marketing refers to it as ultra-fast and... It's actually not in a lot of cases. Um, look, they are dealing with with the challenge of of being such a big country and having to get internet right, you know, right out to people in all sorts of uh, rural areas. One of the things they had committed to was delivering a hundred megabits to uh, people who couldn't maybe get the uh, fixed connections using what uh, they were referring to as a. Uh, a fixed wireless product, which you know we have some of that in in New Zealand, where you get you you know you plug in your router and it accesses the mobile uh, network, usually four G uh, LTE network, and um, you know you can actually get some pretty good speeds here in New Zealand. In some cases certainly can uh, get past a hundred uh, megabits, especially with um, Spark have their four point five G network, and they have a new. Uh, router now that uh, you know technically can can deliver uh, well into the hundreds of uh, megabits a, a second, and I've been tr- I'm trialing that out recently. It does depend where you use it. Most of the time, um, well, it's it, you know it's it's fair to say in a lot of locations it delivers similar performance to their their previous uh, router. Um, not you know not dramatically more, but yeah, you know, in, so, in some cases because it, it effectively is having uh, multiple links from the router uh, to the cell site, so you've got you know effectively extra uh, extra channels running at once. You're able to uh, uh, really bump up the the performance there, which is um, is rather nice. But in Australia, anyway, the um, the CEO of the NBN Co has. Uh, axed plans to provide this 100 megabit service so i know sometimes it's just nice to know what's going on across the ditch and and how good we've got it um here uh that said i don't think we set quite the same performance targets here in new zealand but it just it just seems like another hiccup for the uh, national broadband network in, in australia i think australia is it's a wild country it still has that feeling about it even now. <laughs> I remember my uncle would live beside the Murray River for six months at a time, and then he'd move somewhere else. And it's like you know that's not that long ago. And you think that's that's you know that's we we, we wouldn't do that in New Zealand. So you're dealing with a different paradigm in Australia, I think, and not just what well, he'd live sort of rough by the river. Yeah, sort of and there'd thing. be you know there wouldn't just be him. There'd be countless people like that. But it's it's a lifestyle they choose. So you've got a different feel there. I think very different. And technology is used in different ways. Even when you go up to Queensland, there's a feeling that you know it's it's not as advanced in terms of modern modern um, feeling. But of course it is. But it's just the way you feel up there. It's a little bit laid back, a little bit. Mm. You know, so the dynamic there is quite different. That's true. That's true. Well, yeah, I, I think. Look, we are on a journey here in New Zealand, as as you know, every country is really in in terms of uh, connectivity to the internet. And yep, yeah, there's um, certainly a bunch of countries that have got some very good uh, fibre broadband, you know, South Korea and, and Singapore. But the mobile networks are really also um, very, very important. And mm. so, yeah, it's just um, 
interesting to me the different different approaches that that happen and really just what a shambles that they seem to have with the NBN in in Australia. And I think there are quite a lot of factors to do with that, to do with leadership, to mm. do with changes in staff, to do with <coughs> poor decisions. Certainly there are lots of people that seem to be doing very well out of the, the network. But uh, the other stat that I read was something like 30 to 40% of people that have moved on to the NBN actually would like to go back to their old, uh, their old connections. Wow. So a bit of a shambles over there. But uh, never mind. Anyway, on to, uh, on to another country, on to uh, India. Uh, in India, the, um, the railways there have been getting uh, free Wi-Fi. Their railway stations, now 400 railway stations uh, across India have got uh, free Wi-Fi. And the, yeah, the, 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 cur- the curious thing here is it's Google. Uh, that are, that have you know played uh, play the key part in making this happening. So uh, it's it's a partnership with Google. It's been going on uh, now since early uh, 2016, uh, putting this together between uh, Railtel and uh, and Google. And look, it's you know it's enabling connectivity for huge num- numbers of uh, people in India. And India certainly has some challenges. I think it's uh, you know it's it's fair to say in terms of their economy, in terms of uh, poverty, connectivity, and and you know varying other uh, areas. So, look, offering this free broadband through uh, through the railway stations makes a whole lot of whole lot of sense to me. Yeah, and plus rail is a big part of the life in India for many people because not everyone can afford a car or. You know, so rail is that way that people can move about, which is kind of certainly for the yeah, long the long distances. Absolutely, yeah, but everyone yeah. can use it. So of course, it would make sense to reach the populace through that way. Mm. Eight million um, monthly unique users apparently connecting to uh, to the network. So you know, when you're talking a, a billion uh, type population, it's a small percentage mm. of the population, but it is helping. You know, helping people connect to the the internet, and I think there's certainly some uh, some positive things about that. There will be some aspects people have around, well, you know, Google doing this, and is is that uh, is that good or bad? And I guess it, you know, it comes down to what they what they do with the information they collect. So yeah, we will uh, we'll see how this one progresses. So the download speeds in, in a lot of cases can be quite slow, but it does uh, seem to vary. And I think the the other the other thing they do, which is, you know, I guess keeping it fair and keeping the overheads uh, down a little bit, is people basically get an an hour uh, of use for you know for free. After an hour, then it can slow them down if they're uh, they're continuing to use it. And there is a bit of a verification process that uh, happens through your mobile as well. So. Look, they seem to have you know worked out a, a reasonable system that keeps it uh, reasonably fair and hopefully you know stops overuse by uh, by people as well by having that that time limitation on it. So yes, another uh, another approach to connectivity. I think we're getting a little bit better in New Zealand in terms of access to Wi-Fi. There's more places mm-hmm. now that have re, uh, free Wi-Fi. It seems to be becoming um, you know quite common out there in in. Yeah, retailers and even some of those who were you know, reasonably early to uh, start offering it to their customers but offered pretty poor performance internet have started improving their offerings. I think uh, McDonald's was one that you know, a number of years ago offered free Wi-Fi. You try and use it and it was you know, so ridiculously slow that it was actually probably similar, uh, similar or worse speed to what you get on an aeroplane, and and this is just at their at their physical premises on the ground. Um, they don't think they've put any premises any, anywhere else other than on the ground at this stage. So mm. anyway, there there you go. Now, one thing that really caught my attention, and look, this was uh, again, I, I I caught onto it through a friend of mine that that works. Uh, for the company and um, some of you will remember 
uh, earlier on in in the year, I put together a video and did uh, an interview with uh, the the CEO of the company that was launching the Cora, which is the autonomous air taxi, and of course that was being tested and developed here in New Zealand, but ultimately sitting under Kitty uh, Kitty Hawk in the uh, in the US and. This is the uh, company from uh, Larry Page, Google uh, co-founder, is you know basically the, the the big money behind it, and they've had a number of bets in terms of flying cars or you know electric flying uh, vehicles, whatever you want to uh, want to call them, and just yeah, in the last few days we we saw uh, the first coverage. I think CNN had a reporter that went and um, and tried out the uh, the Kitty Hawk flyer. And this one is electric. It uh, weighs uh, something like 100 and 120 uh, kilos. It's got uh, 10 battery-powered uh, propellers that uh, lift it up in the air and, and a couple of joysticks for controlling it. So it's basically designed that anyone can jump in. You don't need any sort of pilot's uh, license. They uh, limit how high it can go. So at the moment, I think the maximum elevation is, is just over uh, three meters. And then in terms of speed that it goes, I think it's you know, limit, limited uh, between 35 and 40 uh, kilometers an hour. So it's not super fast. And the, the runs that they've been doing at the moment have been over water. So that's you know part of, of keeping it safe. The other part of keeping it safe is limiting limiting it, right? If you if you're only able to go about three meters up, then if this this thing falls out of the sky, you're not gonna have um, you know, hopefully not have, have uh, you know too much of a of a drama, I'm sure especially you'd when you're looking at it. You know, it's, not, <laughs> it's not like you're not gonna get hurt but But it's like a little float plane, yeah. isn't it? It's got these big floats on it. So yeah, landed and uh, you're flying over water, which yeah. is where they're testing the So they obviously just not wanting anyone to get hurt which is cool hmm. and if you're testing why not you don't want to you know put people at risk but uh, it looks a lot smaller than the the one we'd seen earlier in the year but uh, oh yeah I mean this is uh, is the sort of thing that they'll be selling so you actually be able to go and you know buy one for yourself uh, rather than Cora which is, is more des- designed to be the type of uh, craft that is uh, autonomous electric air taxi which we carry a couple of people so you know this is very much at this stage designed for uh, for for one 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 person and i can't remember what uh, what numbers if any have been bandied around in terms of of price but it's certainly good good to see this technology developing and uh, and, and getting out there and Getting people's appetite sort of, um, you know, uh, developing for uh, for the, for these things. I mean, I think at this stage it's very much a, a fun thing. There's not too many probably practical uses for it, other than you know some sort of recreational type of uh, use. But look, this is going to going to develop, and the technology will get better and better. Batteries keep developing. I think yeah, 20 minutes is the uh, the the longest uh, journey. Uh, or, or you know, time in the air until um, your your battery uh, runs down for now. But uh, that's that's really just just the starting point. But it certainly looks like a whole lot of fun. And there's a lot going on in that space. There's stuff being done in Israel. There's stuff all over the place. So, so I was talking to my daughter about the most recent um, Blade Runner movie, and they had the flying cars. And I said it's potentially possible in your lifetime that that becomes a normality. And you know, by the time you're thirty or forty, so. It's interesting seeing all these developments, like, you know, some of them for from the Army's perspective. This one is more for your just a person to have fun and use. And then obviously, you know, the, the one we've seen earlier in the year looks like it'd be more potentially for commercial and just all sorts going on in the space. It's very exciting. It is. And one of the things that I um, find interesting is um, for those of you who use LinkedIn, it gives you some really interesting data. And... So I put uh, the video up uh, in regards to uh, Cora. This is my disruption playbook uh, video. I put it up on LinkedIn. And look, it's a while since I, I, I looked, but uh, fairly early on it hit about 13,000 views. And what LinkedIn does is give you a breakdown of where those people are, are looking from, where in the world they're looking from, what companies and so on. And there are a whole lot of people from Airbus. And Airbus is actually in exactly... Mm 
or in a very similar space, they're trying to create these autonomous air taxis as well. So there's a, bu- there's a bunch of uh, players and certainly in the recreational side, uh, I, you know, I think that, that will also be uh, competitive, at, you know, as is the space where, the, where, where Cora is from a, a research perspective. But it's it's great to see you know actual real developments happening, and you know these things are, are getting off the ground. And look, other other areas too that are you know more broadly related in terms of getting things off off the ground is getting to space. And I uh, managed to catch up with Peter Beck again the other day, and went out and spent some time at uh, Rocket Lab having a look around and a more detailed interview with him than what we did on the New Zealand Tech podcast uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, this one's for the New Zealand Business Podcast. And yeah, one of the things that jumped out at me there as well is there are lots and lots of companies trying to, to do a similar thing to Rocket Lab in terms of getting these small satellites up into space. But there there are some who are being successful. And uh, Peter Beck and Rocket Lab are certainly uh, you know, right, right at the forefront Absolutely. there. And their, uh, their next launch will be uh, uh, coming up this, uh, this month. So, look, very, very exciting times in terms of uh, putting things in the air and, the, and electric being part of it. And, of course, uh, with Rocket Labs, their, their, their rockets are the first to have an electric component to them, the first rocket that has electric power. That's just the, you know, I think the, the ignition uh, piece and so on. It's not the whole, the whole uh, story, but it's, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's quite, quite fascinating. So um, very cool. I had my first experience on the weekend using an electric car for a longer journey to Hamilton from Auckland, and it didn't cross my mind to put petrol in it. And, of course, anyone who's been to Hamilton oh, lately this coming is, this back. Oh, hi- this is a hybrid, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, hybrid, of course. There was traffic jams for about three hours. And it, and I suddenly realised how it works. The car needs to be in motion for the battery to recharge. So, of course, as we're sitting there and it's raining and the lights are on and the music's on, the battery's draining and I'm panicking. Uh, so it was quite an experience for my first, you know, being in one of these kind of modern vehicles and understanding how it actually all works. So. Mm. But the and nicety, got, the nicety of the hybrid, good. though, right, is it's it isn't a stress because you've actually got you, well, you know as long right, as you've got gas, you're uh, you know if you're, you're unfamiliar with can, these things, you do yeah, tend to get a little yeah, bit anxious. You're looking so. at the battery, they go, oh, what happens <laughs> oh, no. if that runs out? But <laughs> so you know, yeah, it's it, an experience. It, it, it shouldn't, uh, it yeah, good. it shouldn't shouldn't matter. So uh, yeah, oh no, that's uh, that's cool. So look, lo- lots of fun stuff going on, and uh, just a reminder for those that are interested in that electric site. Uh, the New Zealand uh, Electric Vehicle Podcast. There's some yeah, great content in there at, at the moment. And uh, well, yeah, well worth having a listen in. In fact, we had uh, Rod Drury uh, in, in the studio here for, uh, I think it was uh, maybe last week's episode or the, the episode before, uh, you know, talking about some of his interest in, uh, in electric vehicles. So look, if that's an area you're interested in or, or you know people who are interested in electric vehicles, uh, that that podcast certainly one that's uh, been been attracting a, a lot of attention and uh, quite a big and uh, a growing audience as well. So worth uh, worth checking out. Now on to some New Zealand news. Uh, this week we've got the CIO Summit happening uh, in Auckland, and I'll be about there, and I'll be uh, there for the um, CIO Awards as well. So look, if if you're there and you see me floating about, definitely come up and, and say uh, hi. Uh, always enjoy um, meeting listeners at at these events, and uh, some sometimes those uh, we bump into, I manage to twist their arm to uh, to come and come and join future episode. But yeah, regardless, definitely if you if you see me about uh, there, do uh, do come and come and say hi. It's uh, it's always great to uh, connect with those who who listen into the New Zealand Tech podcast. Now, also New Zealand news, uh, Russell Stanners, who we had a quick chat with uh, last week with Vodafone's uh, announcement about unbundling of, um, of fibre of, of UFB in New Zealand. We've got, uh, we've got news he will be uh, stepping down in October as the CEO of Vodafone New Zealand. Uh, 17 years in the role, Greg. He must have been doing something right, sir. That's, that's a long stretch, right? Well, you know... These big companies have, um, you know, certain metrics that they uh, that they look at, and uh, look, I think it's fair to say there's definitely yeah, definitely a bunch of stuff that he's got right. Uh, but it's also easy from the outside to look in and look at all the things that they that uh, you know ha- that go wrong as well. 
And uh, look, I've just been through an, an experience, and, and you know, you're a bit familiar with, with one of uh, uh, Gorilla's customers that designed de- decided to sign up with a, a particular Vodafone uh, service that uh, you know was a bit of a challenge. So we see those, you know, within Gorilla, we see the sort of the ups and downs and and the challenges, um, and more so with the bigger bigger businesses where things can kind of get a little bit little bit lost, and sometimes uh, you know nobody that's really really taking ownership of. Um, of issues but look you know it's it's fair to say that they've won um, a very big slice of the the New Zealand market uh, in Russell's uh, time uh, heading up Vodafone here and there are you know lots lots of lots of uh, lots of happy customers they've uh, you know they've they've delivered uh, offerings that you know, have have been a, a fit for the market they've 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 got into the fixed market because of course they started out as just a mobile provider and by buying iHug, that got them into you know home internet connections. I remember uh, iHug. I must be old. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then you know there was um, the the Telstra uh, Clear acquisition and you know all the technical challenges with uh, with with trying to bring organisations together. I think that that's certainly. Uh, something that's that's caused some uh, some struggles within uh, Vodafone is you know how do you how do you pull these acquisitions uh, together when you've got uh, you know big existing entities and, and different and incompatible uh, systems? But yeah, look, I you know I think they must have been pretty pleased with uh, with his performance, with the numbers and and the results that <coughs> Vodafone have had for him to be in that role. Uh, for so long. And it would uh, be interesting, Paul, if he had a part to play in the decisions around supporting the Vodafone Warriors as we come to know them, see? I think that's a stroke of genius in connecting with the general New Zealand public in a way potentially they might not have otherwise. So you know, I'm not sure how long that relationship's been in place, but it seems to me that that's probably had an impact in helping them broaden their base quite nicely. And, and you know, even though the Warriors haven't potentially been the greatest team for a long time, Tons of people connect with the Warriors and so with that branding association. I wonder if that's had a great effect on the company too within New Zealand's Yeah, culture. I mean, I think I it's mean, probably it's a whole combination mm. of things, but th- yeah, th- that type of a initiative has, has worked well for them, uh, you know, lining themselves up with entertainment and, and, and sport yeah, and so right. on. Um, being a being a, a brand that people can relate to is uh, is, is pretty important. Now stepping uh, stepping up to the the plate to uh, to take over is Jason Paris, who not uh, not too long ago stepped down from uh, from his role at uh, Spark, and he was chief executive of the home mobile and and business side of uh, Spark. So yeah, he uh, he took a role in the UK with Vodafone, and uh, now he will be uh, he'll be you know step, stepping back uh, in, into New Zealand. So look, it's going to be uh, it's going to be kind of interesting in terms of uh, what's next. There's been a, a bit of speculation that uh, maybe Stanners will take the role of uh, chief executive at, at Sky. Because that, that, yeah, the the idea is to have that uh, filled before the end of the the year. So, look, interesting, uh, interesting times ahead. But I think the the hallmark for me of um, of you know Russell Stanner's sort of time at Vodafone was acquisitions. It seemed not too, you know, it was never too long between there being some sort of an acquisition uh, that that had you know gone on. Uh, over, over those years, uh, World Exchange was uh, was an, another one. Um, so yeah, there, it's been been an interesting time. And then you know, of course, they they worked very hard to do that that merger with Sky, which uh, you know ultimately was blocked by the the Commerce Commission. So that would have been you know really his um, uh, his final legacy, but that didn't work out. So yeah, maybe maybe he'll be stepping across in that direction. Uh, we will see, or mm-hmm. or maybe. Uh, it's time for him to you know head off overseas and, and do something else, but I'm sure we'll find out in due course. Now um, to finish up, a um, couple of things um, on the Sky front. Their fan pass they uh, announced about uh, well just nearly a week ago now that that will be coming available as a mobile only offering to use on your smartphone for sixteen dollars a month. Now this is is kind of curious to me because. 
And one way, it's like, what? Why? Why would you, you know, want to sign up for uh, a streaming sports service that you couldn't watch on a big screen? Because, well, you know, it's often quite a social thing, right? Watching, you know, watch, watching sport. But also, there's a segment of of the market who actually they they do consume a, a lot of content just on their um, their mobile device. So. You know, there's something to be said for creating another way that's uh, lower cost for people to be able to get some sort of a, a, a taste of Sky's um, sport offering. And, and it's probably potentially our generation of the mega-sized TV being king is, is not the case for this current generation who spend all their time on their their devices, you know, playing games and watching things on a certain size screen and they're adjusted to that and... And usually the screens only get smaller as they get mobile. So, you know, maybe that's what they're looking at um, in terms of the future as opposed to a dinosaurs. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I mean, that's just my thinking that there's potentially a, a big market of people mm, that just live mm, off these, mm. you know, these mobile screen sizes and, and small, you know, potentially just the device they use for playing their games. And, I mean, you know, if my brother's, you know, young son has anything to go by, that's that's the only screen he'll ever see is his local PC downstairs, and they're playing their games online. So, yeah, it's a different scenario than what we, you know, we were all about the big screens. Mm, mm. But so uh, yeah, it's yeah, different. Yeah, um, and this this comes on the back of um, Spark doing a deal where they're offering uh, you know that uh, low low cost access to uh, Fan Pass for um, Spark's unlimited. Customers with unlimited sort of you know home internet, if they're I think on uh, on UFB maybe uh, it's on VDSL. I can't recall that, but but you know basically offering this sort of um, discounted access to Fan Pass for uh, thirty dollars a month. So look, the, you know there's now a couple of ways of getting access to to Fan Pass at a you know, a bit more reasonable uh, price point. It was certainly a, a little bit of a surprise to see uh, Spark uh, do that sort of partnering when they have their own mm-hmm. offers. Uh, but it's look, it's I think that it's it's a sign that Spark are very very keen on owning as big a slice of the market as they can, and they're willing to partner with uh, pretty pretty much uh, anyone on that front. So. Yeah, look, in, interesting uh, times continuing on the uh, on the streaming front, especially sports-wise. Now, on to the last subject before we get into a little interview to uh, uh, to crack into. I was in Sydney a few days ago, uh, courtesy of the folks at uh, at Motorola. I was kind of keen to to find out what's happening with Motorola. Uh, haven't seen a huge amount of their product in the New Zealand market for. Uh, for a little while, there's, there's been bits and pieces sort of floating into the market here, but it would usually be when I was in the US that I would see uh, Motorola product. And one of the one of the things that I've um, seen over the last couple of years was the uh, Moto Z product. And look, what caught my eye about this is it's a it's a modular smartphone. So on the back of it, you've got sort of got a, a magnetic uh, component. And uh, then you've got these uh, these attachments that um, you know, connect on via what we call uh, pogo pogo sticks, and the attachments. Uh, there's quite a variety of them. The one that that uh, caught my eye the most was a camera with a ten times zoom lens, which Amazing. of course there's no uh, there's no smartphone with that sort of optical zoom lens to it. So look, having a phone with an add-on that could deliver that to me is pretty interesting and you know, I think our, our listeners know that the photography side of uh, smartphones is a fair bit of interest to me uh, you know I do a fair bit with uh, vi- you know, shooting video and just taking uh, taking photos and I've I guess I've owned uh, digital cameras since not the very very earliest days but um, you know probably 15 you know 15 years or or so certainly before we were we were seeing any sort of reasonable um, phones uh, come come out of or come come with smartphones so uh, yeah so just firing up the moto Z right now if I can remember my uh, pin code to log into it this is a, a test for my memory um, but I'll fire that up there we go that's starting up and I've got 
<laughs> Probably re- remember some of those uh, sounds, the odd hello, uh, hello moto. Um, so that's firing up now, but look, I've got here um, a few of the accessories. There's a 360 degree um, camera that you can uh, attach onto um, the Moto uh, the Moto Z. The one I've got here is the Moto Z2 Play. Retails in New Zealand uh, 799. Now this is um, uh, talking through how you can get hold of these. It seems like they've done some work with uh, two degrees for distribution. Other phones are sort of through other retail uh, retail channels. The Z2 Play, I believe, is just through PB Tech, so it's it's not sort of a, a broad distribution, and and that'll be why a lot of people haven't actually haven't actually seen it around. But it is um, is a device that you can get your uh, can get your hands on. Look, it's it's these add-ons that uh, they're certainly you know I, I'm finding uh, quite interesting. I've had a bit of playing around. I was sort of curious. Well, how good is this camera? It's branded um, Hasselblad, and and Hasselblad sells some very high end uh, you know cameras that are sort of the next step up from the the digital SLRs. Uh, this is not at that sort of uh, level. In fact, it's it's in many ways is similar to a typical smartphone camera. Even though you've got this, you know, big lens on the front, but what is special is really the ten times zoom that it's got, mm. and it's got a proper sort of full sized flash to it. So um, that's pretty cool. So that's the um, that's the Hasselblad, uh, yeah, ten times zoom camera. They've got the fired across one of the three sixty degree cameras. There's add-ons for extra battery life for audio, so you can I think you can even put an audio DAC on these for those who are real audio files and want to get top-notch uh, uh, audio out. And um, then we've also got another um, uh, Moto mod, as they call them, um, called the Gamepad, which you know basically uh, make, makes it into a handheld gaming console, which is uh, pretty cool. Yes, very uh, very fun. Uh, put it put it that way. So um, look, yeah, lot, lots of cool stuff. Um, but it's it's the the zoom camera that I, I quite like. And basically, you can just snap these things on and off because it's um, um, it's magnetic and uh, and 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 away you go. So thought I'd mention that uh, seven hundred ninety nine dollars for the um, the Moto uh, Z two. I think is the retail. Uh, the Z2 Play in New Zealand. Uh, there will be another another generation coming. I don't know how long that they'll stick at this. Uh, I guess it you know comes down to to how the series goes for them, and whether they'll you know do further further series sort of uh, longer term. But it's yeah it's it's kind of cool, but it's a little bit of a niche as well. Um, and it's worth bearing in mind when you putting these big accessories on, they all have a draw on battery. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, before I'd done the, fir- the software updates and firmware updates, I think I plugged in the camera and the battery life was at eighteen percent or something. And you know, before I knew it, the whole thing had just sort of shut down. It didn't have <laughs> enough juice to uh, to do anything. So they're not designed to sort of be left on the whole time, uh, but you can you know chop and change them around. So that's uh, that's that's it. There there are some other uh, Motorola phones that I'll uh, I'll be having a look at as well, and I'll have a bit more of a a, a look and a, a play around with that camera. But having that on an Android phone is kind of cool because yeah, you can do live streaming and and you know all those usual sorts of things that you would do with your smartphone, but just with a more capable camera, and it's got a reasonable camera built in as well. So that's the uh, rundown on that. Now we're going to jump into uh, an interview right now and uh, then we'll catch you uh, after that at the end of the podcast. Welcome along to the show here right now with um, Danny Adamopoulos from Motorola. Welcome along to the show, Danny. Hi, Paul. Good morning. Great to be here with you. Look, um, Motorola is a brand we haven't heard a huge amount about in New Zealand in, uh, in recent times, but look, you're moving back into the market but before we sort of delve into what you're doing now it'd be interesting just to sort of go back a little bit in history with uh, with Motorola certainly when when I look back well a lot more than a than a decade yeah I had a Motorola phone and of course yeah Motorola sort of responsible really for you know starting the revolution of, of mobile phones uh, I think it was 1973 when uh, uh, that first sort of you know handheld mobile phone call was made. I think car phones have been around for uh, for some time prior to that, and then 1983 when you know Motorola sort of moved out in terms of selling mobile phones in the in the market or, or cell phones. 
So what's the journey? What's happened between there and, and, and where we are now? Because it's been, really been some interesting uh, times. Of course, you know, Motorola sort of you know, split into, into two pieces. The mobile business, first with Google and now uh, owned by Lenovo. Maybe you just sort of fill in some of, the, some of the gaps, some of the highlights over that time. You, of course, been with uh, Motorola yourself for, uh, was it 19 years? 18 years. 18 years. Yes, long time. Um, yeah, so the, the, as you say, the first call was made by uh, Dr. Martin Cooper back out of the uh, New York office. Um, he was uh, calling out to his counterpart in AT&T. There was a bit of uh, friendly rivalry there as to who would make the first cellular phone call on a, on a live PSTN network, a public switch network. And uh, Dr. Cooper made the call, rang his colleague in... Um, in or counterpart, I should say, in AT and T, and he's talking on him. He's like, "Okay, yeah." He goes, "By the way, I'm calling you from the first mobile, I'm making the first mobile for a call, walking down one of the streets in New York." So, that was the start of the uh, of the mobile evolution. Um, commercial sales went online in 1983 uh, with a big product called the Dynatac, uh, and then it was an eventual evolution of making the phone smaller, compact, battery life, trying to get it longer and longer and longer. You know, we went from one hour of talk time to you know, eight, nine, ten hours worth of talk time. Um, over the years, you know, Motorola progressed with multiple products uh, into the marketplace. You know, the bricks, the bag phones, the car phones, and then these merged into these smaller portable ones. And, you know, we had a couple of few little famous ones. We had the Dynatac, we had the StarTac, um, then we had the, the V3688, which was the smallest GSM phone at the time. Uh, and then we had, of course, the famous Razer, you know, where we sold hundreds of millions worldwide. And I think everybody at one stage in their life somewhere owned a Razor, um, especially if you're between 30 and 40, 30 and above. Um, and then the smartphone evolution came through. Um, and, you know, we kind of tripped and, and slipped a little bit with, with that evolution. Um, and then we kind of found our foray back into the, into the smartphone space. We have been doing smartphones ever since. Uh, we got acquired by Google back in 2012. Um, as part of that acquisition, the company was split into two. There was the public safety team. Um, and then the, the public safety side was doing, you know, uh, ambulance, police, fire and all those types of things, as well as barcode scanners and, you know, warehousing and, and, and those types of services. And then the mobile side of the business, which was the home, uh, home broadband, um, like the Sky TV uh, in New Zealand, uh, as well as the mobile part of it. And then that was again separated out. Um, another company called Aris um, took that, that the, uh, the home part of the business. And then the Motorola mobility side of the business was acquired uh, by Lenovo in, in 2014. Uh, Lenovo went on a bit of a spending spree that year and they also bought the IBM's x86 server business. Um, and then we've spent the last two years integrating uh, into that business. Um, and we can say that that integration piece is now finally completed. Uh, and it's all uphill from here. So, you know, our business is, is growing again. Um, our business in Australia is growing great. Our business in New Zealand is, you know, reigniting uh, from where it was. So it's been a very interesting journey these last 18 years personally for myself but yeah uh, well it's, it's great that you've been able to, able to stick with the business and uh, you know that probably gives you a fairly unique uh, view one of the things that I guess I spend a fair bit of time looking at is how companies sort of succeed and fail in terms of innovation and disruption I'm curious what are your perspectives on those sort of those difficult years for for Motorola from being sort of you know the the um, the leaders and the the innovators and then you know they went through, and I guess there've been you know probably some some ups and downs. You talked about the the razor, and interestingly, that was uh, that was a phone that I I had uh, for doing business in Australia. I kept a local uh, Australian number for you know a num- number of years, so I had had one of those here. Um, but there there were certainly some some real troughs as as well. What are your perspectives on you know? What what were the things that maybe uh, Motorola could have could have done better, and uh, you know why? What do you think those those tough times sort of came in those those years? Well, hindsight's always a wonderful thing. Of course, it is, um, and we can learn a lot, though, right? Looking looking back, it helps y- us to look forward. Absolutely, and and this is something I say to my team all the time. Sometimes you have to look back to look forward, um, to avoid rep- uh, repeating the, the the mistakes of the past. Um, Look, over this journey over the years, there are many reasons why 
um, you know, companies fail and succeed and some companies then turn themselves around. IBM did a massive turnaround in their business and, you know, they're a great uh, a great way of looking at it. Motorola went from being, you know, bleeding edge pinnacle of, of developing technologies. Part of it is longevity. Um, you know, being a publicly listed company, there's always pressure from Wall Street. Um, and sometimes that pressure is the next 90 days or the next two quarters versus looking forward to the next two years or three years. Um, that, that's an interesting one to drill into because it's certainly something, you know, a lot of discussions I have that often, you know, seems to come up certainly, um, you know, in my thinking around the way that uh, business leaders are, you know, are, are often rewarded, right? It's very much on the on those short-term Outcomes, whereas you know the reality is, particularly when uh, markets and technology and so on are, are, are changing, you actually have to step back and and invest for the longer term. And in, in many cases, right? Correct, and that's where R and D investment becomes important. This is where sometimes um, you can take a big gamble and be at the bleeding edge uh, of technology, or you can be on the trailing edge of that technology innovation. And being at the bleeding edge gives you first-to-market advantage. It gives you bragging rights, but it gives you a significant upfront uh, investment cost. And sometimes, you know, shareholders or when companies become finance-led, there's a a certain aversion to risk um, or unless there's a a guarantee of return. um, Sometimes you shy away from those things. Uh, I can look back in Motorola's history my, in my own personal experience and I can pinpoint some times where decisions have been made that we saw what the end result was. And what seemed like the right decision at that time was actually very poor judgment or a decision made for the right, for the, the right decision for the wrong reason. Um, so that, that definitely has, has an impact. And then there are other manufacturers who along the way have done the trailing edge of the curve and basically seen where everyone else has stumbled, learnt from that, and then taken something, repackaged it, and made it better or more popular. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're the two ways that you can pretty much succeed. Um, but Motorola in its DNA has always been about innovation. Um, and some of... Th- today's modern world lives because of that innovation that Motorola brought, cell phone being the biggest one. Um, you know, satellite communication, like Motorola made the first satellite phones uh, available on the market, still used today, um, even though it's no longer part of our business. Our semiconductor business, um, you know, it was a, always a big race in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s between Intel and Motorola to push the limits of what you can do with, you know, with chipset innovation, things like that. So, um, telematics, the way the safety systems in cars operate today, we no longer do that part of the business. We sold that to Continental. Um, but, you know, we were bleeding edge in these things. TVs, like Motorola had the first color TV, the color 65. Um, that's another part of the business which we're no longer in. So innovation has been in the DNA of, of our business. Um, and, you know, we're still leading that innovation with mobiles today. And one of them is the Moto Z franchise. The Moto Z franchise is brings what consumers want to get out of their phone. It allows consumers to make that. It's probably the only phone, well, it is the only phone on the market that will continuously improve or can continuously do something better. Uh, this is the the modular, the modular uh, one, d- yeah. design, isn't it? Yeah. And look, I don't think we've had this in New Zealand. I've seen it in the in the US, and there's some really cool, you know, accessories in terms of cameras and you know other bits and pieces that you can sort of bolt onto the to the phone. Maybe you know walk us through that because that is genuinely something that is, yep. is you know I think quite unique in terms of a Motorola offering. So um, the Moto Z products actually are available in New Zealand. Um, they're with our partner PB Tech. Uh, they, they sell those ones. Um, the, the whole concept is consumers, it's very hard to make a ubiquitous phone. One phone that suits everybody. Some consumers... Probably impossible, right? It is impossible. <laughs> we, know that one, we know that one brand tries... Um, except it's the other way around. They make the user the ubiquitous. You fit into our box and that's it. Um, but the, some consumers like big battery. Some consumers want a great camera. 
Some consumers want an, a great audio experience. Um, you know, some consumers want to have the versatility of using it in their car or, <clears throat> you know, wanting to do playback capability. So um, the mods concept that we brought in basically just snaps on the, these different f- modules snap onto the back of the phone and you enhance what your device can do. And then also different markets. It shows you that different markets have different orientations. So we have the, the Moto Z, the Moto Z Play, the Moto Z2 Play. So there's three products currently in the portfolio that we have available in Australia and New Zealand. Um, and then there's a, a suite of mods that go onto it. So we have a projector, we have a Hasselblad camera, we have batteries with different capabilities, some with wireless charging, some without. We have um, style shells that go onto the back. So they look, um, you know, with different patterns. And then we also incorporate into the style shells, uh, for example, wireless charging. So we don't need to worry about putting wireless charging on the phone, adding cost to the device. But if the consumer really wants it, they can add the functionality on the back very, very quickly. You know, a very popular one is the projector. And you say to yourself, what do people want a projector for? And if you have kids or you're traveling, you know, you can, like Sam travels and she puts it up on the ceiling and watches Netflix because, you know, in hotel rooms sometimes the pay-to-view movies are really expensive or there's nothing on TV if you're in another country. Um, I actually use it for, for meetings. I, I carry all, a lot of my presentations in Google Docs. I plug the projector on, put it in presentation mode and I, and I present off the phone and it just it blows everybody away and that becomes the best-selling tool. And then people are convinced I'm going to buy it straight away. And you mentioned uh, Hasselblad, uh, you know, camera add-on. Now these are cameras that are usually tens of thousands of dollars. What's uh, what have you got there? Yeah, so the Hasselblad camera it, it retails for three ninety-nine or three seventy-nine. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, kind of threw me a curveball on that one. So the Hasselblad camera is one of the cheapest commercial grade cameras available on the market. It's got ten times mechanical zoom as well as optical zoom and as well as all the editing suite from Hasselblad as well. So you can take high definition like TIFF files um, or raw image file formats and then modify them to any way you want and manipulate them either on the device or into the cloud storage. Um, And the Hasselblad camera in itself is popular. For example, if I look at the Japan market, Hasselblad is actually one of the top selling mods that we sell, um, followed by the battery in Japan and then the projector. If I look at the Australia New Zealand market, battery is the highest selling mod followed by the speaker and the camera drops down further down the train. Um, you look at other markets like uh, the US for example and it's um, uh, you know battery and car dock, you know different experiences. And even then within Australia ourselves, um, between the different states just like in Australia, in Victoria, for example, and in New South Wales, car dock is more popular, whereas Queensland, they prefer the speaker. Right. So, you know, you can even track the trend between the different states. And so with the accessories, how much compatibility can you sort of keep with future phones, right? Because it seems quite enticing to be able to add on a uh, you know, camera, car dock, those, those sorts of things that are going to you know, make uh, uh, your experience of the phone better, but of course you can't keep those running for 20 years either. So what sort of lifespan of compatibility would you... So at the moment, we're looking at a compatibility um, format of three years or three life cycles of a product or three generations of the product. So the Z1, or the Z original Z family, the Z2 family, and then the Z3 um, generation when whenever that comes out. Um, so... All the mods are forward and backward compatible. So if you bought a, a, a Z with a camera, that will work on the Z2 Play, the same camera. Or if you buy the latest mod today, yep. um, so say for example, we released the 360 camera at Christmas or yep. the Polaroid InstaShare printer. Mm. Um, that one's actually compatible with the phone that we launched a year and a half ago mm. Mm. or two years ago. So there's longevity in all the different mods as you go buy into that ecosystem. Right. One of the other great little things that we've discovered or noticed recently or trend is um, the attachment rate of mods. So when a consumer buys a phone, they'll buy the phone on normally one mod. And now what we're seeing is as the phone goes through its life cycle, about six months down the track, they'll buy another mod. And about three months after that, they'll buy another mod. So within nine months, most consumers will buy two to three mods 
on the product. They may not necessarily buy it up front, but they buy it down down the line. Hmm. So that's another little interesting trend that we've, we're starting to notice. Now you'd have a problem if this becomes too successful because somebody else will get into the market and do the do the same thing. The mods concept <laughs> has 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 been around. Other vendors have tried it. Um, they've you know dabbled in it and then pulled out and gone back to the traditional model. We see this as still continuing our innovation story and bringing to customers something very different. Um, that you know, again, you can't have a ubiquitous phone, so it helps tailor what we want mm. to, to particular mm. consumers. Yeah. And um, what else are you doing across the range? Because there's obviously a you know some varying price points. You're coming in with some pretty competitive uh, offerings with you know pretty good feature set at sort of mm-hmm. you know mid range and and lower price levels. So we have a, a portfolio of products, uh, and we have five franchises in those in those portfolios. So we have the Z franchise, the X, the G, the E, and the C. Um, all of these are available in, in New Zealand. The, the C and the E and the G are the most popular in New Zealand. The Moto G franchise for, for us worldwide is our most popular selling franchise. We're now into the sixth generation of the, of the G family. Um, and we've sold hundreds of millions worldwide of this of this franchise of products. So it's very, very popular. Um, it's the ultimate value for money product. Exceptional phone, exceptional value, exceptional price. Um, and that's the, the the mainstay of, of what our portfolio. Yeah, it is. seems to. I mean, it seems to always get a you know a lot of attention internationally. Uh, I think I saw an announcement come through from uh, Amazon that they're doing you know the G six with with Alexa built in and so on. So yeah, it does seem to uh, seem to get plenty of attention. So you're launching that in New Zealand right now. Maybe run us through the the highlights. Yes. So we're we're actually really pleased to advise that as of the 11th of June. The new G6 series family and the E5 will be available uh, in New Zealand. Um, so, in the G family this year, we're la- this uh, this year we're launching three SKUs. We're launching the G6 Plus, the G6, and the G6 Play. Um, so, three products at three different price tiers. In NZ, the G6 Plus will be five seventy nine. The G6 will be four seventy nine. The G6 Play will be 379 and the Moto E5 will be 279 and these will be available through all the all the traditional retail channels uh, in New Zealand. The um, the the value for money, I mean the the, the messaging or the story that we want to communicate to our customers is especially the E5 series is all about battery. Um, you know, with a 4,000 milliamp hour battery, you can go a solid day and a half to two days without having to worry about uh, topping it up. The other big plus um, is these are all dual SIM devices. And the dual SIM are actually, you don't, as a consumer, you don't need to make a choice. You can choose, you don't need to make a choice between memory or SIM card. We have three separate slots. So two for the SD, or two for the SIM cards, and one for the uh, for the SD. And is that the same when you're selling them through carriers? Because you know usually the the Sparks and so on of this world don't tend to like dual SIM. Or is it two degrees that you're working with at the moment, and they're open to it? Is we that- are working with two degrees um, on the on these products, and uh, so they're they're taking the dual SIM version. Um, they a little bit more forward thinking. <laughs> Uh, in, in, in the thought process so that's a, a refreshing change um, but I mean we are working with the other operators as well and you know we'll continue the, the uh, discussions with them um, the dual sim is great though is that, that it is 4G and 3G so with the 2G shutdown uh, in, a, in New Zealand coming through um, these phones will keep going there's no you won't lose that functionality yeah, because there have been some dual, dual sim phones where you've got you know, LTE on the first sim but not on the on the second, right? Correct. Yeah, which I think you know often people didn't wouldn't realise that because it's not something there was a big song and dance made about. But yeah, it, it is something to be aware of. So it's, it's good to have that covered. Yep. Um, so that facility is across all the devices, um, which makes it a pretty powerful uh, experience for consumers. And then we move into the G series products, and the G series are about value for money, still with a great look and feel. We go from a 2D glass finish with a PMMA finish. In the imaging as well, we have dual pixel cameras on the G6 Plus and on the G6. Uh, and we have you know, a 12 megapixel shooter, single shooter on the, on the G6 Play. 
Um, fantastic uh, audio, uh, video quality as well on the G6 and on the G6 Plus. Uh, 4K playback, full HD display resolution as well. Um, so you're getting exceptional value for money. These are available in the the G6 Plus and the G6 will be available in one color skew, the Indigo, Indigo Blue. The G6 Play and the E5 will be in two colors, the Gold and the Indigo, uh, Deep Indigo and the Gray. Now, keeping Android updated seems to be a, a constant uh, challenge for uh, manufacturers of smartphones. What's the Motorola approach? Approach to that. Uh, my understanding is all of these are launching with um, Android 8.0. Correct. So all of these are launching with Oreo out the door. Um, we do have a, a program for uh, security updates. Um, we tend to get that out every 90 days, and you can see that on our current portfolio. Um, for example, uh, actually the Z series, uh, we just launched Oreo and the Z series, and that's a two-year-old phone. So we, we um, you know, we, we know that consumers are, software updates are important to them, security updates are important to them, um, and we try and manage that within the, within the, the, uh, the memory configurations that are available on the devices. There are certain limitations sometimes that prevent that. Um, there is a cost to doing software updates. There is a cost to doing um, compliance testing. Um, so it becomes a matter of balance. And the, you know, as you go down the lower tier products, the margins get very, very thin. So um, sometimes, unfortunately, manufacturers need to make a trade-off. Um, it may not be the answer everyone likes to hear, but it's yep. the, the reality of business sometimes. And, and in terms of getting future versions of uh, Android across the suite, uh, what does that I, look like? I can't give you a, uh, an exact date or commitment as to when, um, but... These products, as as the releases come through, will will give you advice. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's good. Anything else that you want to uh, add that we haven't covered? No, I'm I'm good, Paul. Thanks for uh, for your time today and letting me be on the show with you. And we uh, look forward to doing some great work in New Zealand. Yeah. Well, well thanks for thanks for your time, and it's really interesting to get a few insights about Motorola. Oh, probably the last bit we haven't covered is. Um, Look, how does Motorola fit within the Lenovo family? Because it's obviously Lenovo branded phones, Motorola branded phones, and then all the other Lenovo products. So, how does that sort of you know fit fit together? Yeah, so there's no um, there's no longer any Lenovo branded phones uh, as such. Um, the the company has made a a branding decision to go with the Motorola brand. After all, they did spend a lot of money buying it. Um, so now that's uh, as that dual as the older Lenovo products have filtered out of the marketplace, right. the only market where you'll still see Lenovo branded phones is China. Um, and that's because it's, there's such a big market base there for that. Um, and it's the only market where Motorola doesn't have such a strong uh, brand, uh, brand holding. And, and China requires some very unique product. Um, that only works in China. So, outside of that, um, as a as a business group, there's three major three major groups. There's the the PC side, which has got tablets as well and other devices. Then there's the server side of the business, and then there's the mobile side of the business. Those two are using the Lenovo brand or the Lenovo nomenclature, but underneath the sub brands, like for example, in the PC side, you've got ThinkPad, right? And people say it's synonymous to have ThinkPad than Lenovo. Um, and then, you know, for us, it's the same. It's Motorola, part of Lenovo. So right. Lenovo is like a big master brand yeah, okay. over the top. And then each one has its own little sub-brand underneath that we... Right. So the Lenovo branding will be there too on your, on the products as well. Yeah. So if you look at the packaging, we have, um, you know, Lenovo on the side or a Lenovo product. Um, and then the bulk of it is just all Motorola now. Yeah. 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 Um, just as a little umbrella brand. Okay. Oh, that's good. So... Um how often will we be seeing sort of new uh, product cycles on, on these? Are they generally annual? Um, we, we launch a new generation every year, but the exact timings, I, I can't tell you at this point in time. Okay. Yep, that's great. All right, thanks very much for your time, Danny. Thanks, Paul. Cheers. Okay, cheers. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you, everybody, for, uh, for listening in. Uh, now, you can track me down online, uh, Paul Spain, on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter. 
Greg, I forget, are you, are you on any of these things? You sort of stay, you know, not am, too I close am. to sort of social no, no, media, I, I, but I, more on LinkedIn. I spend a lot of time else. on Facebook looking at photos of my girls. So you get me through there. Or oh, I do have a LinkedIn as well. And, um, yeah. Good. Cool, cool. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening in. Uh, as I say, if you're at the CIO Summit and you see me about uh, this week, do uh, do come and say hi. Uh, we've got some pretty interesting episodes and, and guests coming up over the next few weeks, so um, stay tuned for those, and we'll catch you again next week. All right. See ya. Cheers. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.